from the Carter Subaru Studios, this is Cairo Nights with Jake Skorheim. Welcome to Cairo Nights. I am your host, Jake Skorheim. Thank you guys so much for joining us tonight. We've got a great show for you guys tonight. Truly, we just have a ton of stuff to get to. It's Tuesday. It's, I mean, if I'm being completely honest, it's a pretty hot show. Uh-oh. What's that? You feel that steam heat coming? <laughs> That's dumb. Uh, but no, we really do. We have so much to get to. We don't have any time to do it. So let's just get to it, you guys. We have to get on. We have to get on. We have so much time and so little to do. Strike that. Reverse it. All right. First thing we do every single night, I play a trivia clip for you guys. You can guess. You can guess on the trivia line. Um, not the trivia line. I guess it is kind of the trivia line. On the text line, on the Muckleshoot Casino Resort text line, uh, hit us up. 888-973-5476. I have been told that I say that number too fast, so that's 888-973-5476. You can venture your guess there if you think you know where this movie uh, clip is from. If you don't know it or you're just driven mad by curiosity, which is the point, I want you guys to stick around for the top of the next hour. We're going uh, to play the clip again, and I'll give you the answer at the start of the news roundup. So here it is. Good luck. Number one rule of Wall Street. Nobody, I don't care if you're Warren Buffett or if you're Jimmy Buffett, nobody knows if the stock is going to go up, down, sideways, or in circles. Least of all stockbrokers. Mm -hmm. right? It's all a Fugazi. You know what a Fugazi is? Mm. Fugazi. It's a uh, fake. Yeah, Fugazi, Fugazi. It's a wazi, it's a woozy, it's a fairy dust. It doesn't exist. It's never landed. It is no matter. It's not on the elemental chart. It, it's not real. <laughs> <laughs> Fugazi, Fugazi. I can't do the whistle like he does. All right, uh, great movie. If you know what the clip is, go ahead and give us a guess on the text line or listen to the top of the news roundup. All right, let's get right into it. We got a lot of stuff to get to. All right, first things first, gird your loins because this Friday, the toll lanes on 405 and 167 are about to go up. All right, so Chris Sullivan has this great story over at MyLearnPros.com. Check it out there. Chris Sullivan always has great stuff. Unfortunately, today he brings us bad news, and that's the toll lanes are finally going to go up. You guys remember this. These were voted on. They decided. They had a commission that was put together. They investigated the idea of raising the tolls from, I think they were like $10 max and $9 max on uh, 405 and 167, respectively. But they decided, hey, we need to make them higher. We need to discourage people from using the lane because we need to keep the flow of the traffic really good in those lanes, if we can. That's the goal of those lanes. It's to move traffic through. That's what they tell us. I think it's just a big money grab, but that's what they tell us. So on 405 and 167, both of those tolls, the max on those tolls, will go up on Friday to $15. The minimum on both of those corridors will now be a dollar. I think it was 75 cents on both of those. Uh, also, another thing, and I didn't know this, but another thing was the peak period for the HOV requirements will be expanded from, it used to be 7 p.m., like, so like after 7 p.m., the tolls go away. Now, 8 p.m. So they're adding an hour. They've raised it by 50%, more than 50% on one of them, to $15 an hour, and they're expanding another hour because they just want to try to stop people from driving in the lanes or get your money. Um, this is what it's going to sound like in my car. When I'm driving on the toll lanes now, every time I see the toll lane, every time I, and it will be 15 bucks. Like they always say, nah, it's not going to be 15. That's in extreme cases. You might remember, they actually said this back when the tolls were first implemented. When they were doing like their testing phase, they said, guys, we're just going to try this out and just see how this works. And they said, we're going to set this arbitrary number 
at $10 an hour or $10 per per uh, lane. It's never going to hit that. Obviously, that's just because we have to have some ceiling so the computers know what the ceiling. We just have to have some numbers. So let's put in 10 bucks. It's never going to hit 10 bucks. I think on day 1, it hit 10 bucks. So uh but yeah, so this is going to start on Friday. So get ready. Mm-mm. No. No. No, no, no. No. Hell no. All right, so for those of you, this is uh, from Chris's article. Really great information here. You can learn all about toll lanes if you're interested. For those of you who are not familiar with the tolling corridors on 405 and 167, they are a congestion pricing model. This is all from Chris's article. He says the toll allows solo drivers and cars under the HOV requirement, which is, I think it's more than two people, to pay their way into the lanes. The toll rate goes up as congestion gets worse, so that people will choose to not pay their way in. Again, they're trying to keep those lanes moving swiftly. I think they're trying to hit 45 miles per hour 90% of the time, which I would be very surprised if they're hitting that 90% of the time. Um, Chris goes on to say it's about pricing people out of those faster lanes. It turns out that the maxes were not doing the job in pricing people out. That's why they're being increased to $15. Sometime in 2025, the entire toll system from Linwood to Puyallup or Puyallup, if you don't live locally here, will go active where you will be able to pay your way into express lanes the entire way. The toll rates will also be segmented at that time, meaning that you will be charged multiple times on that trip. Today, you only pay the price you see on the boards. In 2025, there will be one toll segment from Puyallup to Renton, a second from Renton to Bellevue, a third from Bellevue to Linwood, which means that you will be charged a new toll in each of those segments. So just think about that. You're trucking along. You're thinking to yourself, yeah, I'm just going to like get to work. It's going to cost me, you know, 15 bucks to jump in that lane. Well, no, You've ha- you haven't multiplied by three. And I did math before the segment so that I made sure to get this right. Historically, I've got math wrong on this show to make sure I got this right. I did the math. 15 times three, ba, 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 45 bucks. That's what you're going to pay. If you're going to drive from Puyallup all the way to Linwood, you're going to have to be charged three different times, $45. Though they say it's unlikely that all segments will be at the max at the same time. And I think it's probably going to be at the max a lot of the time. So that wouldn't surprise me a bit. I think people are going to get $45 bills commonly. And imagine doing that every single day. That's just one way. That's just one way, folks. Uh, all right, so let's do a little background on this because I was interested in these toll lanes because I hate them. I think they're ridiculous. I actually think toll lanes are evil, if I'm being completely honest. I don't think they're useful. I don't think they're moving the traffic. I think they're just picking our pockets. But let's go back, all the way back to when these toll lanes were but a fever dream just 10 years ago. Just imagine that. 10 years ago, the year was 2024. Pharrell's happy was at the top of the charts. The number one movie at the box office was Guardians of the Galaxy 1. We just recently saw Guardians of the Galaxy 3. Really good movie, by the way. You should check it out. But Guardians of the Galaxy 1 was in theaters, top of the charts. And Governor Jay Inslee had just taken office. He had taken over control from Governor Christian Gregoire. You remember her? That's not fair. That wasn't a nice sound effect. All right. Uh, So I went back to Seattle PI and I looked at this from 2014. They had this article where they were talking about this new legislation. Lawmakers were trying to start this, uh, finish this legislation. 
and it was then signed uh, to be signed by Christine Gregoire. They're trying to get these toll lanes into place. So listen to this. This is Seattle PI, 2014. I just think it's helpful if we look back at history to see where we were at and then see where we are now and see if 10 years ago, if we would have said to ourselves, hey, you know what, like the frog in the boiling pot of water, is this a good idea or would you just jump out immediately? So listen to this. A system could be in place by 20, uh, 2014 once lawmakers finish the legislation and it's signed by Governor Christine Gregoire. This is Seattle PI, uh, 2014. The measure also passed the House but drew heavy opposition from Republicans. This must have been pre-2014 pre because it says Governor Christine Gregoire, and she left office, at the uh, I think, in 2013. Anyway, the dates. It uh, doesn't matter, the dates. Uh, this is in probably 2013 sometime. But I digress. Now I will continue. The measure also passed the House but drew heavy opposition from Republicans who didn't like, like the idea of charging tolls for lanes built with gas tax money and didn't think the toll operation would pay for itself. And they're totally right. So those lanes were originally paid for, gas tax money, your money that you pay every time you get gas. And we know that it is very expensive in the state of Washington. We've talked about this many times. Right now, because of that cap and trade thing that Governor Inslee put into place, we're paying like more than a dollar gallon, on average about a dollar gallon more than they're paying right now in Idaho. And if you go south, down into Oregon, we're paying just about 90 cents more per gallon on average uh, because we have these you know, climate change initiatives that Governor Jay Inslee has in place. So gas is very expensive. All those taxes, where's it going? It was going into roads, but then they said, hey, you know what? This toll operation, maybe it could pay for these roads. Republicans were skeptical. They said, we don't think it's actually going to pay for itself. So the Senate committee actually added several amendments to the bill. A key one was a provision that 405 hotlines could be shut down after two years if they weren't producing enough money to pay for the tolling operation. That came after critics noted that the experimental hotlines on Highway 167, again, they were just experimental at the time. Now they are there. They're there. Uh, between Auburn and Renton haven't raised enough money uh, haven't raised enough cash to pay the tolling op that tolling operation. So that was 10 years ago. How do we think it's doing now? If we had told ourselves 10 years ago-ish, whenever this article was written in the Seattle PI, that someday they're going to be charging $15 per segment in the toll lane just for you to use it, could be as much as $45 per trip. Do you think people would be super excited about it or would they go, eh, this might not be for us? Maybe this isn't a very good thing. Anyway, so that's your update on Friday. You can expect the toll lanes to go up to 15 bucks uh, per trip. So congratulations. Hope you enjoy that. All right, let's move on. This was a really intriguing headline. I was actually really fascinated by this. Kate Stone has a great article over at MyNorthwest.com. Listen to this headline. It just grabs you. Federal officials are saying local ports are at risk of spy cranes. <laughs> So this article is from Kate Stone. She says, fears of spy cranes are brewing in ports in western Washington and across the country as questions are raised over whether the Chinese-made equipment could be used in cyber attacks. An executive order signed by President Joe Biden last week created a federal rule aimed at better securing the nation's ports from potential cyber attacks. That includes the giant superpost pandemics cranes used to lift and haul cargo off ships onto U.S. docks. This is really fascinating, this part. I did not know this. Approximately 80% approximately of these cranes originate from China and are operated remotely. 
This remote control feature makes them susceptible to cyber attacks. Admirable John Van, who leads the U.S. Coast Guard Cyber Command, has emphasized this vulnerability. At the Port of Tacoma and Port of Seattle, those cranes are an integral part of marine cargo terminal operations overseen by the Northwest Seaport Alliance, the NWSA, I guess this is called. Spokesperson Melanie Strombaugh said that there are no plans to replace any of the equipment at this time. The NWSA currently has a strong cybersecurity procedures in place. This is a quote from her. And we are evaluating new requirements against our existing security measures at our marine terminals. The published requirements at this time do not suggest that we will have to replace any of our operating cranes, uh, Strombaugh said in a statement to Cairo News Radio. Strombaugh added that there are currently no American-made cranes that are of that type that are available on the market. So you're kind of stuck, I guess, just using these Chinese cranes because they're the only ones who are making them. You guys have seen these, right? If you drive by the Port of Tacoma or you drive near uh, um, uh, West Seattle and you look at the Port of Seattle, they're massive. They're just absolutely huge. I'm surprised that we can't find a local maker of these cranes. That's surprising to me. I'm also surprised that the, like, think about how much shipping comes into our country. Think about all of this, like anytime we've had backups. Do you remember when those port, when the ports were shut down because the ships were, you know, uh, totally backed up? I think there's something in the Suez Canal. Do you remember how, what a, what a hassle that was for everybody? How everything got very expensive, hostile activity in cyberspace from spying to the planting of malware to infect and disrupt a country's infrastructure has become a hallmark of modern geopolitical rivalry. This is all from Kate's article. Uh, as the threat continues to grow, the Biden administration is outlining a set of cybersecurity regulations that port operators must comply with across the country, not unlike standardized safety regulations that seek to prevent injury or damage to people and infrastructure. Um, this is a deputy national security advisor from the White House had this to say. We want to ensure there are similar requirements for cyber when a cyber attack can cause just as much, if not more damage than a storm or another physical threat. Which is totally true. I mean, think about everyone the other day was just freaking out because AT&T had that down, uh, you know, the down service. Was it only like 60,000 people lost service? But still, everybody was like, oh, no, is this a cyber attack of some sort? Is there some big thing that we all need to be aware of? As it turned out, it was just, uh, it was an update malfunction. Something updated incorrectly. It was a piece of hardware and they got it fixed. But everybody was like, oh, my gosh, is this, is this where... The internet shuts off. Is this what's happening? No, that wasn't the case. But cyber attacks, very scary, so hopefully they can figure this out. Also really interesting. I did not know that about the Port of Seattle uh, being operated by Chinese cranes. Very interesting. All right, uh, I'm going to play you some audio here that I was very interested in. I found this very funny. This is just one of those PR things that I'm surprised still happens. Uh, the CEO of Kellogg's Cereal. So Kellogg's makes a bunch of different cereals, obviously you know. And the CEO was on Squawk on the Street, which is a show on CNBC. And he was talking about, we've recently covered this on the show, actually, the high price of food. And after all of this inflation that happened, the food costs went through the roof and they went really high. They did not go back down. And what they showed was that people are spending about 11% of their take-home pay right now on food. And about 11.3, 11.4%, which historically is the highest it's been in 30 years when we had another play, another time of, you know, drastic inflation, which was back in the, you know, late 70s. After the late 70s, we had 
inflation, which then drove the cost of everything up, and people were spending at that time around 11.3, 11.4% of their spending on food, which is what we're seeing now. So the CEO of Kellogg's Cereal, his name is Gary Pilnick. He was on uh, Squawk on the Street, as I just mentioned, on CNBC. And he kind of stepped in it by saying something silly. Listen to this. First off, just listen to how uh, they talk about consumers, which is strange to me. People who eat cereal, it, nobody talks this way except corporate speak. But here he is. Gary, it's great to have you. Uh, big piece in the journal today, just looking at the share of income going to food and sort of exploring the idea that it's hard to find eras in which food prices actually retrench and stay down. Um, talk about what you said today or, or, at Cagney. Oh, Carl, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. When we think about our consumer under pressure, there's things that we could do, but most importantly, what this category could do. The cereal category has always been quite affordable, and it tends to be a great destination when consumers are under pressure. So. <laughs> it tends to be a great destination. It's like Disneyland for this guy. He's talking about cereal. No, it's just people buy cereal. Uh, is it a destination? I don't know about that. So this is the this is here's what here's what he said here that people are kind of responding very poorly to. Some of the things that we're doing is first messaging. We got to reach the consumer where they are. So we're advertising about cereal for dinner. If you think about the cost of cereal for a family versus what they might otherwise do, that's going to be much more affordable. So cereal for dinner is basically what he's saying. I'm a, so I, I feel like I'm pretty, uh, I, I have, a, I have a, an ability to speak to this because I love cereal. I eat it all the time. I don't eat it at breakfast. I haven't eaten cereal at breakfast since I was probably six years old. I eat it at night, late at night as my dessert. This is what I do. This is what I love. Keeps you healthy. That's where I get my fiber. I love it. Um, so this so so this story is still ridiculous to me, even though I'm a cereal for dessert guy. I'm not a cereal for dinner guy. I guess I probably could have been a cereal for dinner guy maybe in college, but would I feed my kids cereal for dinner if I didn't have to? Absolutely not. And my wife would not be happy if I was feeding them cereal for dinner. Uh, for a little context, Gary Pilnick is a wealthy guy, and I'm not one of those guys that says, like, eat the rich or have any... Problems with people being rich. God bless you. If you figure out how to make a ton of money, I think that's fantastic. I admire you. I look up to you. I think you do, uh, obviously, very valuable work if you've been able to make that much money. I think it's fantastic. Go do it. Good job. Uh, so I have no jealousy for people who make a lot of money. I do think when somebody makes a lot of money, though, they need to be careful that they're not offending those who don't make a ton of money. So this guy's annual salary is about a million bucks for uh, the Kellogg cereal company. It doesn't sound like that much, but when you factor in how much he can make in bonuses, so according to this SEC filing, uh, he had an annual salary of $1 million plus $4.4 million more in bonuses in 2023, according to this SEC filing. Um, so I just, maybe he's lost the, lost a little context for what people are actually eating, because I don't know what he's eating. But if he's making over $5 million a year, he's probably not eating cereal for dinner. But he continued, he really breaks down how they're trying to, you know, get to get cereal to the consumer, meet them where they are. The other places that we like to go is, we talk about making sure we have the right pack at the right price in the right place. So having a different size pack that'll have a different price point, that'll take some pressure off the consumer while they're shopping. So those are some of the things that we're doing, but in, in general, the cereal category is a place that a lot of folks might come to because they, the price of a bowl of cereal with, with milk and with fruit is less than a dollar. So you can imagine why a consumer under pressure might find that to be a good place to go. Right. <laughs> so, okay, I got I to gotta take a quick break here. But when we come back, 
he kind of even digs himself into a deeper hole. So we're going to get into that when we get back. Don't miss that. We're going to be right back here on Cairo Nights. You're listening to Cairo Nights with Jake Scorheim. All right, welcome back to the show. I am Jake Scorheim, your host. All right, last segment, I was telling you guys about this CEO of Kellogg's Cereal who said something ridiculous in an interview. Uh, if you're just tuning in, the CEO of Kellogg's Cereal is a guy whose name is Gary Pilnick. He was on as CNBC's Squawk on the Street. And they were asking him, they said, hey, listen, like everybody's talking about how high food prices are right now. Uh, we recently did a story on the show about how the average person is right now spending about 11.3, 11 11.4% of their take-home pay on food, which is really, really high. Like historically, it hasn't been that high in about 30 years. The last time it was this high was in the 1970s when they had crazy inflation, a little before my time. But in the 1970s, you're coming out of the Carter years in the White House. Inflation is crazy, and food prices just went way up along with everything else. The problem is when inflation starts cooling and going down, apparently food prices stay kind of stagnant and they always kind of stay at the level they were at before. So it takes them a long time to go down. They don't just go down with inflation. Anyway, the CEO of Kellogg's Cereal was on uh, Squawk on the Street and he was talking about that and he put his foot in it, honestly, because he said something that's ridiculous and I think they should probably have somebody like yours truly, or some just a normal person, just like a normal smart person who can listen to the corporate speak, who can listen to the things that they want to say and talk about with the public and say, hey, guys, like actually nobody talks that way. And that's kind of crazy. So listen to what he did. He started by talking about, and I'll get to the, I'll get to the uh, uh, new cuts in just a second, but just for anybody just tuning in, I'll give you a quick recap. Uh, he started out the segment by talking about how, and this is very corporate speak, he said cereal is a great destination for consumers under pressure. So that sounds really positive, but what he's basically saying is when people don't have money, then maybe they'll just eat cereal because they don't have any money. So consumers under pressure, somebody who's having to tighten their belt because money's tight. This is what he said. This is Kellogg's CEO. Gary, it's great to have you. Uh, big piece in the journal today, just looking at the share of income going to food and sort of exploring the idea that it's hard to find eras in which food prices actually retrench and stay down. Um, talk about what you said today at Cagney. Oh, Carl, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. When we think about our consumer under pressure, there's things that we could do, but most importantly, what this category could do. The cereal category has always been quite affordable, and it tends to be a great destination when consumers are under pressure. So, Ugh, who talks like that? We're excited about what this category can do. Cereal. He's talking about cereal. So, again, I don't know if this guy's ever had a normal conversation in his life. Uh, listen to this. This is the part that everybody got riled up about. He basically says, if you don't have money and you're a family, a great thing that you could do is just eat cereal for dinner. Some of the things that we're doing is first messaging. we got to reach the consumer where they are. So we're advertising about cereal for dinner. If you think about the cost of cereal for a family versus what they might otherwise do, that's going to be much more affordable. It's going to be much more affordable if you eat cereal for dinner. Uh, does this guy have any issues with affordability? No, I don't think so. How much does Gary Pilnick make? Uh, the internet knows. The internet says that uh, he makes about a million bucks a year uh, at, in his job as CEO of Kellogg. You might think that sounds kind of low, and you'd be right. He actually gets an extra $4.4 million in bonuses uh, in 2023, according to this SEC filing. So he's not hurting for cash. I don't know if he's having cereal for dinner. I'm, not, I'm also not one of these people that, um, you know, just... 
I don't have any problem with rich people. I like rich people. I actually, I would prefer to be rich than to not have money. I know a lot of rich people and they work really, really hard. And they're generally pretty normal people who have just worked really, really hard. They become very, very focused on something and figured out how to make a ton of money doing it. So God bless them. I think it's great. And I'm also not one of those people who believes that if somebody really rich makes a bunch of money, that it somehow picks it from the pocket of the rest of us who don't have all that money. That's not the way that the world works. That's not the way that capitalism works. Uh, a lot of people can make a lot of money. That's how it works. All right, so, but he needs to talk like a normal person. That's what I think. This, this is ridiculous. He really breaks down how they're actually trying to push cereal on the consumer. The other places that we like to go is we talk about making sure we have the right pack at the right price in the right place. So having a different size. I'm going to pause it there real fast. I guarantee that somebody in a focus group inside his office said, hey, you know what's really great? Why don't we push this pack price? Uh, what did he say there? Right pack? Right. What does he say? Right pack at the right price. Nope, back it up. Right making sure we have the right pack at the right price in the right place. Pack price place they're like oh my gosh that's genius that's just gonna sell this so well what that's saying is essentially is like do we have the right packaging or do we have the right size so everybody's talking about shrinkflation people are making uh businesses are making um, uh, things in smaller quantities charging you the same so actually the price is going up you just don't know it you're just getting less for what you used to pay for uh and so used to pay the same but now you're getting less and so uh he says the right packaging the right price and the right whatever the other one was so having a different size pack that'll have a different price point that'll take some pressure off the consumer while they're shopping so those are some of the things that we're doing but in, in general the cereal category is a place that a lot of folks might come to because the the price of a bowl of cereal with with milk and with fruit is less than a dollar so you can imagine why a consumer under pressure might find that to be a good place to go. Right. <laughs> it's just like the most normal thing in the world. Everybody goes, oh, yeah, like a buck. I get it. Like a uh, some cereal with some milk and some fruit. That's a healthy, nutritious dinner. Um, the host of Squawk on the Street actually is listening to this, and you can see his face kind of contort as he hears this guy saying that cereal is a good thing for families who are struggling financially um, to eat dinner. And he's like kind of pumping his products on them, saying, hey, you guys should think about Kellogg's. So the guy asked him, he goes, are you worried, though, that asking a family to eat cereal, specifically your cereal, are you worried that that message might not land? And it's pretty funny. This guy, very quickly, the CEO of Kellogg says, no, it's like it's doing great. People love that message. I'm all for innovation and marketing, but the idea of having cereal for dinner, um, is there the potential for that to land the wrong way? Uh, we don't think so. In fact, it's landing really well right now, Carl. It's landing really well. How well is it landing? How about no? Okay. No, I don't think it's landing well. Backlash online was instantaneous, as it tends to be online. Uh, listen to this. Somebody posted this clip on Instagram. They said, meanwhile, he's eating at five-star restaurants every night, and when he isn't, his personal chef cooks him dinner. Absolutely disgusting. Eat the rich. This person, that's what they said on Instagram. We don't know that he eats at five-star restaurants every night. I'm imagining he probably doesn't, if I'm being completely honest. A million bucks a year is not that much. Even five million bucks a year, you're not eating at five-star restaurants every night because that takes a lot of time. If you're making that much money and you're very busy, you don't have time to go out to five-star restaurants all of the time. And this little tag at the end, eat the rich, that's ridiculous, obviously. Um, this other person put on YouTube, they said, I'm sorry, but who and what CEO would... Uh, 
would even have the confidence to say something like this. I'm 30-something and cereal for dinner isn't nutrition. Low income does this for something versus nothing. I'm not sure I completely understand that one. Um, but Gary Pilnick closes it out with some more corporate speak. Some more corporate speak and he just can't stop himself. When we look at all of our data, of course we would know that breakfast cereal is the number one choice for in-home consumption. We understand that for breakfast. It turns out that over 25% of our consumption is outside the breakfast occasion. A lot of it's at dinner, and that, that occasion continues to grow, as well as the snacking occasion. But um, cereal for dinner is something that is, is probably more on trend now, and we would expect to continue as that consumer is under pressure. <laughs> It's just funny. I just think it's funny. Uh, the backlash has been severe, and I wonder I wonder what conversations are happening in Kellogg's right now about this. Um, I am not a dinner – I'm not a breakfast occasion cereal eater. I eat it at night, as I mentioned. I like to eat it at night. Um, it's my dessert. It's my guilty pleasure. I eat too much of it, so that's something that I'm working on. All right, we got a lot more coming up, including Shaquille O'Neal said something really interesting. You guys remember Shaq? Super famous, Hall of Famer, one of the biggest guys ever in the NBA, one of the most famous guys ever. He said he talked about his pregame ritual, which is really interesting. And because I used to be in the NBA, I wasn't a player, I was a ball boy. Whatever, same thing. Um, I actually have some insight into some crazy pregame rituals that I can share with you guys as well. So we're going to have all that when we come back. Stick around. We're going to be right back here on Cairo Nights. You're listening to Cairo Nights with Jake Scorheim. Welcome back to Cairo Nights. All right, I promised you guys I would play you this audio. So Shaquille O'Neal, super famous NBA Hall of Famer. He played with the Lakers. He won a ton of NBA titles. Uh, he was most famously paired up with Kobe Bryant. He has a podcast. It's called The Big Pod with Shaq. He talks to other guys in the NBA. One of those guys he was talking with recently is, or was, I should say, Allen Iverson who was super famous, had one of the coolest shoes ever in the NBA. I don't know if you guys ever remember the Iversons, but they had this really cool, like, zipper that went over. It sounds ridiculous to describe, but it actually was really cool. You lace the shoe up the regular way, but then it's like the whole lace section was in this tiny little covered-up area, like a little tiny jacket or a vest, and you would zip that up, tuck your laces away. That's it. Very cool shoe. I don't know why it was so cool, but it was. All right, so he has Allen Iverson on the podcast. They talked about their pregame rituals, and I thought it was really interesting because I was actually in the NBA. I've talked about this many times. I was in the NBA for four years. Most people don't know that about me. Um, was I a player? No. Was I a ball boy? Yes. So it's not the highest you could be in the NBA, but I'm in the door, right? So, I and yeah, I'm on the court sometimes. Am I sweeping up sweat? Yes. Am I playing? No, but I'm still on the court. Where were you? Were you on the court? No, I don't think so. All right, so, and I did that job when I was, um, let's see, I was 17 when I got that job, and I did it until I was 21, and I transferred to a different college, and then I had to quit because the commute would have been really long from Hawaii. All right, so, and this is, I worked for the Sonics. I was a Seattle Sonics ball boy. One of the coolest jobs I've ever had. I will tell you more about that in just a minute. First, I want to play you this clip. Shaq and Allen Iverson talking about pregame rituals. That's a myth. I never go to bed early. Ever since, ever since 18 years old, I've never went to bed before before 12 o'clock. Shaq, we play at 7 o'clock. That's what I'm saying. You could take a nap. But that was my thing. Stay out all night, right? Like, just four. Get up at 10, go to shoot around, mess around, come back, two turkey club, 
fries and a pineapple soda, and then I sleep the four hours. That's what I need before the game. Like, if I get that three hours before the game, no matter what I did the name for, I'm killing somebody. They always try to make a big deal of, of him going out, but... And it's only basketball, man. Basketball was fun as hell. I don't care what time the game is. We can have... Remember back then, ABC games, 12 o'clock? Come on, man. And I might not get into... Two, three in the morning. But it's basketball. I love it. I'm going to play harder than anybody. Man, you owe it to the fans. You owe it to your team. You owe it to God for giving you the talent. You know what I mean? Like, I play every game like it was my last. You know what's really cool? I I count myself really fortunate because I got to be a ball boy from, let's see, when what, what years was this have been? This has been like 2001, maybe? Maybe 2000, 2001, until 2005, 2004, five season which means I had all this crossover with these amazing athletes, like the amazing players. I got to work locally here uh, with Gary Payton when Ray Allen was on the team, uh, uh, Richard Lewis, all those guys. I got to work with when other teams would come into town, they'd all come into town. Like I got to see Michael Jordan. I got to see LeBron when he was a rookie and really young and still a giant. Uh, Shaquille O'Neal, who I just mentioned, Allen Iverson, anytime he would come in and you just get to be with these guys all the time. Like on the court, they're shooting around, you're rebounding. You end up having conversations with them because they're not bad guys. They're all cool guys. And because you work for the team, you kind of like you are inside the bubble. And so they're not treating you like they would treat the average person on the outside, which is really cool. Actually, a really, really fun job for a young guy. So I told you about some weird things. So um, a couple of weird things. I'm not going to say the names of these guys. So I don't want to embarrass them all these years later, although you would know them instantly. One of the guys, uh, I used to go get, um, I used to go get food. They weren't allowed to eat. So the Sonics were not actually allowed to eat outside food from vendors outside of the building. They had pregame meals that were all catered and, you know, were beautiful and awesome. They also could get like, you know, they had nutritionists in there. They had all the different foods you could get, all the fruits and the uh, energy drinks and all the milkshakes and all the different things that people might drink. Not milkshakes, but you know what I mean? Like energy uh, shakes, uh, smoothies before a game to get you pumped up and get you feeling good and get, get good protein into your body. But sometimes these guys would want ridiculous things. Like I made a ton of subway runs. I was getting footlong subs. I was getting, there was a KFC right nearby. There was a Chinese restaurant right nearby. Um, I got Indian food a number of times. They would send me out. They'd say, Hey, go get me, uh, go up to uh, taste of India or whatever it was up the street grab me a bunch of naan, grab me a bunch of butter chicken, whatever it would be, and then I would bring it back. But because they weren't allowed to eat it inside the locker room, and um, uh, Coach Nate was the coach at the time, if he saw these guys eating, they'd get in big trouble. So what they used to do, superstars, like Hall of Fame superstars, you would know their names, I promise you. I would meet them in the ball boy, like the place where they kept the balls, literally this tiny little coat closet, and I would go in there and I would hand off this food to these guys. And then I would go stand outside and I'd watch the door. And they'd like just be chomping away in there. The stuff that they could put in their bodies, the stuff that they could eat and then go out and score 25 points, unbelievable. Unbelievable. Just massive athletic talents. There was another guy who would drink a 20-ounce venti coffee right before the game. So he could use the restroom. And he was like, he was just like, all right, go get me my coffee. And I knew that 10 minutes before the game, he needed his coffee. So that was my my thing every night. And he tipped me a hundred bucks every single night to do it. And again, I'm like 16 years old. Hundred dollar tip for getting a coffee. Pretty good money. All right, we got a lot more coming up on the show. News roundups coming up next. Hope you don't go anywhere. We're gonna be right back here on Cabernets. <laughs> 